Night Talk, Monday to Thursdays, 10 to midnight. You're listening to Night Talk. My name is Oliver Dixon. It's an honor and a pleasure being in your company. Thank you so much for being with us. Really do appreciate it. I want to take you back to 2001 um, to Ellis Park Stadium where a tragic event happened in South Africa's sporting history. One that till this day pains a lot of people. It was the stampede that led to the deaths of many people uh, during the Orlando Pirates and Kaiser Chiefs match. Now, that's a part of our history that we have seemingly buried. We respect it as a tragic moment, and we observe it as a tragic moment. We don't use it as an ugly moment to poke at the fan base of either Orlando Pirates or Kaiser Chiefs. Now, imagine if Kaiser Chiefs had to go play, hypothetically speaking, against Cape Town City in the city of Cape Town. And Cape Town City fans, hypothetically speaking, were so ugly-hearted that they would chant chants about that particular tragic event, hoping to throw off Kaiser Chiefs in the game and hurt Kaiser Chiefs fans. That would be ugly, right? That would be a moment in our sporting uh, fraternity and history that is unbecoming and one we should bury our heads in shame for. Well, that's what's happening in Europe, specifically uh, to Manchester United and Liverpool. How on earth did we get there? How on earth did soccer fan bases become so ugly-hearted that that is a thing they seem to do? Now, I don't understand the hearts and minds of a fan base of any sporting team, and I love sports, so I don't know how they get there. But somebody who performed for large galleries and and fan bases that they hold near and dear is Max Maponyan, who now joins us. Max, thank you so much for your time this evening. I really do appreciate it. Hi, Oliver. Good evening, and uh, good evening to the listeners. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, the customer is not always right. Similarly, the fan is not always right. How do fan bases get to a point of such ugliness? Yeah, uh, I think it's sometimes uh, mob psychology. Sometimes you realize that uh, they all don't think the same, but uh, the majority of those that uh, think that way are the ones that spoils the whole occasion. Mm. And, uh, I mean, as you also know with uh, sort of incidents or maybe a riot breaking out from a certain corner. It's not all of them. That's why they call them a bunch of hooligans, did this, not supporters, you know. But uh, it's just unacceptable. I know what you're talking about, and uh, it just doesn't sound good at all. I mean, you mentioned that uh, with us, we the whole Ellis Park disaster is dead and buried, no pun intended. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's something that we've moved on. Though I want to differ with you slightly that it's not celebrated the way I think it should. I mean, I am a South African. I get so emotional sometimes when maybe an incident that happened with an individual, maybe a player or an official, or a player, let's give him a number, number 12. And on the 12th minute, just everybody around the stadium, just everything stops. And I don't know how you can imagine how emotional I feel about mm. that, you know? And that's the respect that I'm talking about. But uh, the disrespect that has been shown by those fans is just un- unbelievable. And you, you, you just say, will this stop? The answer is no. And why won't it stop? Because as much as I smile and marvel when I see European supporters, I mean, it's like now I was, I've just been watching ODAs and uh, Napoli winning the league. 
and uh, the celebrations and all that. I mean, the youngsters, and you understand that, that this is more communal. It's uh, yeah. everyone in that area. Let's say everyone in Manchester, everyone in uh, maybe in uh, Newcastle or something. But the team belongs to them, that sense of belonging. I appreciate that, and the youngsters even from school, and as young as six, you see them with the gestures of, wow, what a goal, <laughs> you know, with mm, the fist mm. clinched. And I say, wow, this is a good lesson of following the game. But the only thing that you can't take away from them is that that you are saying and singing as adults. And then it means it will continue from generation to generation because he had that from the age of six. And even at the age of 15, 20, he feels the same. And that's when he's even becoming Mm. a youngster with a lot of brawl and uh, thinking he's independent. Mm, mm. So learning bad lessons, I must say. Yeah. So I'm curious about this, right? And, and I'm sure you've thought about this as well. And, uh, and I'm hoping in, in, in business and marketing schools, they, they, they try to figure this out. But to what extent do players and teams, and when I say teams, I mean back office and front office, to what extent do they influence the culture of the fan base? It, it can be to a, to a large extent, but then it also depends on the means of getting them to be talking to the branches in South African cases. You know, the branches of the team, if you invite the, the captain and a few players to speak to them of certain behaviors that you want to read off, and at least the message will land. And then there will be one or two that might be appointed to say, once this starts, be the ones that just calm the situation. Because players can't do that from the pitch. It's just not on. And uh, I, mean, I can recall at some point when I was with Orlando Pirates, and then uh, there was just the whole thing breaking out, and uh, it was scary at F&B. And we tried to calm the fans down, and it's not always going to happen. But mm. with the one that is uh, in question tonight, is it's a continuous thing, and it's just something that you cannot mock anybody with mm. it's life's lost mm-hmm. i mean when you when you were professionally still playing you interacted with fans did it at all overwhelm you to what extent football means to them in their lives to how, how big of a deal it is to them uh because it's 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 not like any other form of entertainment, right? We we do a lot to get entertained. We go to the movies, we pay that fifty rand at the cinema, although it's a million rand these days. You watch a movie, that's a form of entertainment. You can watch your favorite artist. But it seems to soccer seems to have a, a, a as a as a form of entertainment, seems to have a hold that is quasi religious to the extent of a cult a cult like following, right? Did it at all scare you at all? It, it was making me wonder all the time, answer, answer a few questions that uh, just didn't have uh, answers, you know, in a sense that I cannot believe that uh, this guy is just so emotional about this, you know, and <laughs> whether it's victory or loss, yeah. but uh, I mean, I've really been in a situation where, and I'll never forget that moment, the emotions uh, that can come out of the fans. We were playing at Royal Beach Nut. And uh, I had just scored a few goals on the day. And this fan had just had his pup uh, with a hand full of gravy. And he just came straight and kissed me. And I thought, <laughs> 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 but he had tears in his eyes, you know. 
And I thought, but what do you do? Do you push this guy away? What do you do? You know, you have to just uh, get into his zone because you know it's because of you that uh, he feels this way. So they they can't really be emotional. But uh, I've also been a fan, and I am. I must be saying that I'm human, but not a fan that uh, can be that emotional. I can read the situation and I can know the game that uh, we deserve to win and the one that we didn't deserve to win. And uh, move on, eat. But I have situations, heard situations where people say they don't eat after 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 losing. And uh, it's just uh, something I don't understand, but it's just so emotional that at some point, a feminist battle uh, is a, a was, may his soul rest in peace, he was a, a, a Kaiser Chiefs fan, and mm. the wife was a Pirates fan. They went to the stadium, and uh, we, I was at Pirates, we beat Chiefs. And then I got a call after the game from the wife. And then I, I didn't answer because we were in the noise and all that. Mm. And then mm. I got a call from the guy when I was just about to enter my car. And he says, please don't leave the stadium without bringing my wife along. Oh, why did you leave him? No, he's just making noise about his uh, about her pirates. Just <laughs> making noise in my ears about her pirates. <laughs> I was like, but you can't do that. And I had to leave my area and drive all the way to yeah. to, to, to deliver the wife. <laughs> so that's how emotional it yeah. can be. Yeah. In in a more serious sense, um, you know, p- part of stadium regulatory and, and rules and laws is that when there's a disruptive fan, for instance, somebody that jumps a fan, uh, the fence, or somebody that becomes violent, that person may face a ban, may face a fine, maybe even face a lifetime ban. And, and, and many people go through that. Uh, but it's, it's harder to execute such a thing when it's the mob, when it's the crowd, when it's a stadium with thousands of people doing that. Is there anything you imagine that soccer administrators, both at club level and at uh, you know national level, can do to be able to dissuade, for instance, the chanting of these terrible incidents as a means of trying to get under the skin of the opposing team. I know, for instance, FIFA has done this uh, extensively uh, when when fans used to be racist and used to say and chant racist things to certain players, and and and, and I'm sure you've experienced it yourself that uh, FIFA tried to create positive messaging about it. You would remember those say no to racism banners in the 2004 Soccer World Cup going forward. Uh, But I'm not sure if that was effective, but is there anything more that can be done to be able to to get fans to stop this level of behavior? Uh, Especially when you talk uh, talk about mobs and... uh, just one thing, education, education, and education. But the only way to do that is to get them to be communicating and interacting with the players, as I said, together with management. And that is why there would be someone who's overseeing the arrangements for the supporters. I mean, you know, uh, when you when when United is playing away to Brighton, as is the case now, yeah. then you know that the fans will be sitting in this particular area. These are the number of tickets allocated. As much as they get that information of the number of tickets allocated, there should be that continuous communication of the behavior, what is expected of you. 
because you cannot go anywhere where you don't even know the rules. That is why there are rules in every house. And when they get to that house, they say, this is who you are. And we do the same even at the family level where you say, when you go out there, remember you're representing the Maponyanis. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and just that message should come across to the fans to say, guys, this behavior is unacceptable. Often, to an extent, the same fans, and I always wonder what goes through their mind. When maybe 12, 15 points are docked from the team, you know that has happened before. Where does it leave them? Because of just one incident, it doesn't work like that. It's just not acceptable. So, so for so, such reasons, the docking of the points will always make them think that we can't do this, we can't say this, because all the talking will not do, right. the, uh, do anything right unless if you come with uh, punitive measures that can really rattle the cage. Yeah, and, and I mean, I was going to talk about punitive measures to the teams, but it, it that even is a controversial act because you can't always hold the team responsible for the behaviors of the fans uh, because it's not like the team pays fans to go and be nasty and, 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 and disheartening to people in the stadium. Uh, you just know, on that, just on that, Oliver. Now I, I would differ slightly. All the stakeholders, the way team together, everyone achieves more. So together, <laughs> we still have to behave well. Yeah. So, do you think then harsher punitive measures to the hosting team uh, would would be able to dissuade that level of behaviour? It cannot be to the hosting team. It should be to the to the culprit because if it's to the hosting team, it means now people can come to the, my home ground and behave the way they always behave right. and chant those racist uh, slogans. And what do I do? You know, I'm the host. I cannot say much because then charity begins at home. They mm. should have been told all that. They should have been lectured, and that should have long been drilled into their senses that this is unacceptable, and this is what will happen if this continues. Yeah. Soccer in all sports doesn't happen in isolation from the rest of society. It is, in fact, an extension and a microcosm of society. Uh, when the society is racist, you can't expect the soccer to suddenly be a, sancti- uh, uh, a sanctuary of, of, of respect and decorum, right? Uh, if what is happening in society happens out there, it likely will spill over on into stadiums. Um, and is it then fair to expect uh, soccer and sports in general to be the catalyst for positive social behavior and social change? It, it is fair to expect that, and I'll tell you why. We know what we do when we drive down the road. When you feel that uh, nature calls, you just stop on the side of the road and uh, <laughs> attend to the call. Yeah. But you don't do that in certain areas. And because you don't do that in certain areas, it means you've got brains. It's only that you can control yourself, you weigh the situation, and you right. take advantage of the situation. Remember, behaviors are men-driven. They are men-driven yeah. because the, the same men cannot go to London, Singapore, and just litter, you know? Mm. And who told him not to litter in Singapore? Because he realizes it's a foreign country and it's clean and must have been warned once. And, uh, I mean, I was warned in Singapore for chewing. I what? had to throw the chewing gun in the bin. In you the know? streets? In the streets. My I was goodness. warned 
and simply because the, 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 there is no chewing there. They don't even sell chewing gums. So yeah. you learn and you realize, but obviously you ask questions. And the answers were very simple. To say, no, they realized that in one Friday week, uh, the water was just going through the drains and uh, all the chewing gums that have been thrown around ended up uh, on the rail line and the electrical uh, sort of cables. And then they took chunks and chunks of that. Mm. And that's how they banned mm. chewing. You know, mm. so you just say uh, you realize, oh, I'll just see my chewing gums at the airport on my way back home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Max Mapanene, thank you so much for your time, sir. I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, it really, really is uh, an honor and a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you very much. I want to close by saying behaviors can be controlled, it's only that people need to be told that this is what you can do, absolutely, this is what you cannot do. Absolutely. That is Mr. Maponya. And we're going to take a break and then we're going to continue the show on the other side of the news with the open line. So give me a call 86 0032.